Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. Today, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Jerome Liddy about neuroplasticity and change. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Drs. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Amy Zalmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014, and I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Drive Global, and the Goodman Project. I am author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. And I'm also editor-in-chief of The Brain Health Magazine. You can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftdi.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter and Amy Valmer. And also, please feel free to join Amy's TBI tribe on Facebook to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today, my guest is Dr. Jerome Liddy, and he dubs himself the patient doctor after having had his first debilitating migraine when he was 17, and since then, he's averaged about 100 migraines per year. His life has been a journey of victory and defeat, despair and hope, faith and doubt. As a complex neurological patient, he lived in a medical purgatory. He saw the best traditional practitioners to no avail, and he explored innovative alternative healthcare models that also fell short. Ultimately, he became a doctor because he couldn't find a good one. Every day he wakes up, he's both the patient and the doctor, the believer and the doubter. Being a functional neurologist has shown him the healing we once possible is actually possible. Neuroplasticity tells us we are capable of pain. If we understand the function of the brain, we can improve our way of life. In his many years of practice, after seeing patients improve speech, mobility, and brain function, once thought impossible, he knows that we have a good reason for hope. So, so excited to chat with you today, Dr. Jerome. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Amy. I appreciate it. It's great to be with you. Yeah, and I'm just, I'm so excited to talk about neuroplasticity. You know, it's kind of a buzzword right now. And I think yeah. you and I living in the brain injury world, like this is a term that we just know, right? Um, and now it's right. like a buzzword. You hear it on like Dr. Oz and everything right now. Um, so yeah. maybe let's just start, like, what does neuroplasticity mean? Like at its core, what, what does it mean? Yeah, I I think simply put that we can change and not only change in minor ways in terms of, you know, everybody knows that we can get wrinkles and that we get a cut on our arm, it can heal. Um, But we're talking about the research is showing now that if you push somebody's brain function hard enough, 
they can actually see changes in the structure of the brain, not just the function. So simply put, they're learning more and more that we're really capable of change in really significant, literal, tangible ways. Yeah. And, you know, you, you kind of hit something there about pushing someone hard. And I get asked all the time about, you know, functional neurology and like the weak intensive model and like, you know, I don't think I can handle it. It's, it's you know, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. It's going to be too hard and my symptoms will flare up. But that's sort of exactly what we want to happen, right? Like, as the practitioner, you, you kind of want to see where the symptoms flare up so that you know what to do to, like, help settle those symptoms down and you do have to push them hard and and it is difficult I, rem- I remember cursing under my breath <laughs> <at> my doctor <laughs> when he made me do different yeah. I'm like oh this is gonna suck and I hate you right now you know because <laughs> yeah. it would make me dizzy or you know the dizziness totally. for me was like the worst I don't like feeling dizzy right like it's an oh, awful feeling gosh but yeah. you know, no, like I, I, once you kind of make that breakthrough, you're like, oh man, all that like icky work was worth it, right? Oh my gosh, yeah. It's like you know, and like you mentioned on the intro, I've I've been on the exam table way more than I've been in front of it, so I totally get that experience of being like, I I hate this person. I waited six months to get here, and this is just hard work. Um, but, you know, the thing is, I always tell people three quick examples of real life that if we translate that to brain function, especially brain rehab and functional neurology, it makes a lot more sense. One is I always tell everybody functional neurology is more like a personal trainer for the brain. Uh, everybody mm-hmm. knows that when you, go, when you go to your personal trainer, they're supposed to know how to make you function at a higher level of optimal, whatever that is for you relative to you. But very few people that I know who have a personal trainer like their personal trainer during the session, but (laughs) then they refuse to to share their personal trainer because they know they're hard to get and hard to find. So people love their functional neurologist and they love their personal trainer, just not during the session. Another thing that I always tell everybody is, you know, this is, fine-tuning. It's not a blanket protocol. It's not something where you just show up and you get the treatment for the diagnosis and the age group and the range. Because when you've seen one TBI, you've seen one TBI, right? And even if you see one TBI patient on Monday, they're a different patient on Tuesday, categorically similar, but they may show up with different symptoms based on a variety of things, right? So when you're tuning a piano, for instance, or tuning any instrument that's a stringed instrument or has any kind of tension involved, you know, when somebody, even a master person like a Lucier who, te- who fixes guitars and violins and pianos, they have to introduce a change in the level of tension in that space in order to find what's right for that instrument. You cannot tune something without changing the degree of tension. And sometimes the tension goes up and things get a little higher pitch and somebody will get a little excited for a moment and they're like, whoa, that's really provocative. But the cool thing with functional neurology that you don't get with a lot of other professions and a lot of other, especially uh, nothing against anything pharmaceutical, it's just the nature of the intervention, is you can't dial it in and then dial it back as quickly as you can with functional neurology because you can push somebody just a Mm -hmm. touch, see where they start to go out of tune, and then dial it right back in again. If it's something that's, you know, functional medicine or it's traditional medicine or it's pharmaceuticals or supplements, 
that has to run its course. It has to be metabolized in your body. Um, but fortunately, functional neurology, in conjunction with all of those other wonderful interventions, it's really, really helpful at, at introducing tension in a manageable and controllable way. Um, and then the last quick analogy that I always give everybody to help understand that this takes time, but it's really, really fascinating to do it in a short period of time, like an intensive, is if you had a massive problem with your software at your company, let's say you called in an IT expert because things are just not working properly and you can't figure it out. It's not your area of expertise. If you had somebody troubleshoot your IT system for 30 minutes once a week, but you kept using it in between visits, there's only mm -hmm. so much that person can manage to change. But if you give them several hours a day to troubleshoot, and we've got to remember, it's not called solution shooting. It's called troubleshooting, right? You've got you to look at it and go, we're looking for a solution. But we also, once we encounter the problem, if a problem pops up and it becomes provocative, and for instance, like you said, dizziness shows up, then what a great way to troubleshoot it right then and there if you see a symptom in real time. So the intensives give somebody a chance to troubleshoot the brain in real time, several hours a day, several days in a row. And I can promise you the brain is way more complicated than the most complicated IT system. So it can take time, but it's really helpful to be able to sit back five days later and go, wow, do you see how much better things are working because we changed these systems or we integrated these systems or we helped these systems come back online? Or we even call, called those systems up to the front and said, hey, can you, can, can you maybe slow down because you're going 100 miles an hour and everybody else is trying to catch up. So it's, it's kind of fun to do it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, and I think, too, like, you kind of have to get out of your own way sometimes if you want to get better. Because, like, we can make up all the excuses in the world, um, you know, like, oh, it's going to make my symptoms worse. Oh, I'm not going to be able to handle five days in a row. I, I can't handle it. It's, it's going to wear me out. And, you know, like, we can just, like, get in this circle of excuses of yeah. why we don't want to do this. And, I mean, it is. It's when you're when you are stuck in the vortex of feeling like crap. It is. It's hard to like cling to hope, right? And so we yeah. do. We make we make up these excuses because you know we're scared to fail again, essentially. And oh, you know every doctor has told us there's nothing they can do for us, or you're just yeah. imagining it, or it's just in your head. You know, I mean, you hear repeatedly we hear these things and you know a good friend of mine her brother-in-law was just hit by a car while biking and the he's having short-term memory problems dizziness headache and the neurologist actually told him if this is still here in six months this isn't from the tbi this is this is a mental health problem and i'm just yeah. like are you kidding me but unfortunately yeah. that's what we hear over and over so it's hard yeah. to have trust and faith in a system or a doctor when we've been repetitively shot down, right? Uh, uh, so sometimes absolutely. we really have to get out of our own way. Oh, and you know, and I think this is to the point, like you mentioned, with that that neurologist is. I always share with the folks that I see that whenever somebody oversimplifies something or speaks in absolutes especially when it comes to the brain, mm. but you can apply this to a, a standard rule as a human. But if somebody oversimplifies something or speaks in absolutes, they don't understand the topic, right? It, because the thing is, is to say that it is always or never, or this is what it is, 
you better be absolutely sure that you can back that up with some really, really good empirical evidence, right? It's mm-hmm. just oftentimes when we, when we don't understand something, we want to oversimplify it or we want to speak in absolutes. But, you know, when you're talking about the hope piece, especially in my history that I get this, I mean, this is, this is the world that I've lived in every year for the last 22 years. And so I tell people, you know, in my world in the clinic, especially when you get the, the huge difference in experience in, in therapy with a functional neurologist compared to traditional um, neurology, for us, oftentimes in the functional neurology world, the hardest thing is actually not to get you better, but as we do things so differently that oftentimes we have success where other people don't think it's possible. I think the uh-huh. hardest thing is not, actually get, it's not actually getting you better. It's getting you better and then you're having a bad week or bad month or bad year. And going, does that mean that we've unraveled everything? Have we lost all of that? Because, you know, when folks are coming in that are professional patients and they've been in this for a chronic period of time and they've lost hope, a lot of the times it's really, really, uh, I think every time it's really intimidating to put your hope back out there again and to say, you know what, if I could figure out a way to just at least hold on to the space that I'm having and not get any worse that is actually sometimes less intimidating than putting your faith out there, your hope out there that you might get better and then getting shot down again. You know, because it's really, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, this is one of the things that's often not talked about in TBI and, and head injury and, and chronic patients is mental and emotional health is a massive factor in that. Like one of the things that I see with patients a lot of times is they're really, really scared sometimes to get better because they know they can't go back and get the 10 or 15 or 20 years that they've lost. Like that's yeah. kind of cost. And to be, to be in a space where we have to encourage somebody to go is letting go of your desire to get that time paid back to you, to get it reciprocated. Is it worth trying to get that time back, holding on to how you feel? Because a lot of the times I can tell you, I mean, I've, I went to 21 specialists over nine years to get a diagnosis and spent a hundred grand to do it. And when they gave it to me, no one knew what to do with the diagnosis that it took so right. long to get. And you sit there going, but who's going to give me that time back and getting into the headspace, the mental and emotional space to lay that down and let that go. And that's a really, really significant thing to overcome just to get into the headspace to be willing to do the therapy when you know, you may not get that time back. That's hard. You know, I'm going to add to that as as a patient experience. So I totally get what you're saying. And I think a lot of people are probably relating to what you just said, even if they don't fully understand that that's what they're doing. Um, But once I got better, so I was, I I was only two and a half years. I know that there's people who are much, you know, five, 10 years along, but I was two and a half years along when I did my intensive and in my intensive, I had a massive gain. Like, I mean, I was like, my Disney went from a 10 to like a three. And for me, that was huge. Um, Yeah. But it was over the next like six to eight months of doing my at home exercises and maybe going in for a tune up. That's when I had the real progress. Like you have to continue with your treatment and it was much more subtle. So during my week intensive, it was like, bam, my dizziness went down. But then over that next six to eight month period, it was much more subtle. And all of a sudden one day I realized, Hey, I haven't had a headache. Hey, I haven't been dizzy. Hey, I'm multitasking. (laughs) And, And once I got to the other side of it all, 
that two and a half years of hell, like, didn't even matter anymore. Right? Like, right. so I was no longer pissed that I didn't have that two and a half years. Does that make sense? Like, so I want people to totally. understand, like, once you get over that hump, it doesn't matter anymore. So like, don't, yeah. don't focus on that. Yeah, it's absolutely right. You know, and the two biggest things that I see that are compared to that, um, that I've experienced personally, I think are being overweight and also being in a space where you're grieving, right? Like I graduated mm-hmm. high school at 315, at 315 pounds. Now I had the unique experience of having an identical twin brother who was 85 pounds lighter than me. <laughs> so if anybody who's been <laughs> overweight is like, I wonder what I'd look like 85 pounds lighter. I'd just look in the passenger seat and be like, oh, that's it right there. That's exactly what I would look like. And I think the thing is, is when you finally get out of that, that headspace of, of just the sheer difficulty of imagining not being that person or that version of yourself, and then you eventually get it. When you do a week, if we come back to the, the personal training model and the physical exercise. If people listen back to the last 30 seconds that you said and said that was like going to the gym, it makes total sense. But when people think mm-hmm. about doing it for your brain health, it feels hard. It's no different. Yeah. It's a brain gym. You go in for a week boot camp and you crush it and you give your brain and your body the heads up and your mind and your heart the heads up, oh, I can totally legitimately do this. Man, you drop a huge amount of weight up front, but then getting that finesse, those small changes, those subtle changes, that always happens. You lose big weight up front and then you get trim and lean as you go. That's the way the weight loss happens. But the reason I mentioned the grief piece is I think a lot of people, whether it's two and a half years or it's five and a half years, when somebody's going through hell like that, and it's every minute of every day, you know, my wife and I have lost three out of four parents and all of our grandparents. So I've been through the space of, of understanding what it looks like to lose a person. But when you lose yourself as a person, you lose yourself as a patient, and you're constantly grieving the way that you could be or the way that you used to be, being stuck in that headspace and that heart space is so hard to overcome. But like every yeah. single experience with, with grief, the reason I mention that is one day you wake up and you realize, oh, I didn't spend all of yesterday feeling that way. I didn't spend all week feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Or I went a week without being, you know, completely upside down in how I'm feeling. So I think part of that, the reason I say it to be really honest and transparent for anybody that's listening, is I think one of the most profound catalysts for people being able to do really effective change in a functional neurology model is not only to combine it with good quality functional medicine and good quality nutrition, but also to combine it with really good quality therapy and being like, there is yeah. no way that you go through a head injury and it does not affect you mentally and emotionally. So if you want to give stack the deck in your favor and give yourself the best opportunity, it's probably a good idea to connect with a therapist and be like, what are you grieving? Did you lose two and a half years? And you need to find a way to set that down because you haven't seen the change yet that you were hoping for. So how do we dovetail all of that into a place where you're like, oh, wow, now I'm in a place where dude, I could totally handle another year like this. If I had another head injury, I'd actually feel really equipped because I was run over by a car when I was eight and had two head injuries in high school. So not only do I understand the migraines, I understand the head injury pieces. And sometimes you're going to have days where you're like, man, I feel like a, a rock star. I feel stellar. And then some days you don't. So I think having coping yeah. mechanisms that are not, not just brain exercises from your functional neurologist, but also mental and emotional, that's just, that's just good brain health because your mental and emotional states are also brain function as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you will still have bad days. I mean, I, oh, I yeah. remember 
you know, I'm after my intensives, I was like feeling like a rock star. And then I had a headache and it put me down for two days. And, you know, it was really yeah. humbling, like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. But, you know, I still have bad days. You know, I'm four years past my intensive, right? And like, yeah. I still have bad days. I still do get headaches. They're not every couple weeks anymore. They're more like every couple months but I still get them. And, you know, sure. I understand, okay, if I get a headache, I just have to clear my schedule and I'm out for two days. Like, that's just what it is. And it's much more emotionally easy to tolerate, if that makes sense. Like, before the Absolutely. headache was just like, you know, it just knocked me down emotionally. Like, oh my God, I'm never going to get better. Um, but now it's yeah. like, okay, I'm okay. This is going to be two days and then I'll be better again. Right? Like yeah. it, you, you have to learn how to deal with that ebb and flow. And I know in the beginning of my recovery, like before I found Funk Neuro, you know, I started feeling better. Like you'd have two good days and then 12 bad days. Right? And then you might have one yeah. good day and then 10 bad days like it's understanding that balance and what your triggers are what what can you know like what activities are really going to take you out um you know like I know I've met a lot of athletes who struggle getting back into like running um you know and it's you know it's just figuring out that ebb and flow can be really really challenging and um very emotionally yeah. trying <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's all about the nature of building resilience, you know, what can mm -hmm. you handle? And it's, it's just like you talked about with the subtleties of how things change. And, you know, when we do this as a physical exercise regimen and we build strength and we build stamina, it's because we went through spaces that were really uncomfortable that left us really sore after that workout. Or from people like me, you get a workout driving past a gym and you feel uncomfortable thinking about a gym. <laughs> Either way, it's one of those things where it's like, wow, this used to be a lot scarier than it was. Because as a human being, coming back to the original point of neuroplasticity, we know we have the basics of change because we go, oh, yeah, that used to bother me. And now it doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. That can be mental, emotional, physical, relational. It doesn't matter. For me, I can tell you there's one thing that's never going to change. Cilantro will always be the devil forever. And yes. It's just, the, it's just the truth. Outside of that, pretty much everything else can change. But cilantro will always, always be evil. So I want to remember these things, right, they're, they're, that we're totally capable of change. If that wasn't the case, we, we couldn't learn to – say, you know, hi, it's nice to meet you in Spanish really poorly because we wouldn't have the capacity to learn that, you know. I, my dad spoke 13 languages because his brain, wow. for some reason, had the capacity to hold that space. So anybody who says, well, I don't believe that the brain can change, then how did you learn to drive a car? How did you learn to make a cup of coffee? How did you learn to do anything that you've ever learned to do? The beautiful thing with the brain mm -hmm. is not only can it learn it, but it can unlearn it, thank God, because if it couldn't unlearn it, then we'd have a lot more trouble fixing brains after head injuries because sometimes it's about as much re retraining old previous capacity and untraining or rewiring new bad habits that just happened as a result of, of the head injury. So it's, uh, it's really helpful to know that we can change for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, you know, going back to my 
my original, you know, analogy that, you know, like I was cursing my doctor under my breath and (laughs) the whole, you know, like, okay, I'm going to turn your head and hold it here. And it's like, I don't like this, (laughs) you know, it's like making me feel dizzy and I'm getting sweaty. And he held me there for like, I don't know, it felt like two hours, but I think it was like three minutes. Um, And then it just went away. It just like stopped. My eyes settled down. And I felt wrecked afterwards, right? Like that little piece of therapy, I had to go take a two-hour nap. But then when he did it to me again the next day, I was a rock star. It didn't bother me anymore. Yeah. You know? And so like just that quickly to have that validation that, that what we did work, right? Like that's... Um, what I think is so cool, like how you were talking earlier, like we get the feedback right away. We know what we're doing is working or not working. And, you know, we have to flare those symptoms to know exactly where the problem lies, but then we know what to do to to unflare those symptoms. Right. Um, Yeah. So yeah, it's it's just like like cursing the trainer. (laughs) Exactly. And I, you're doing better than some of the patients I see. They don't do it under their breath. <laughs> but the, and, you know, I create that space where I'm like, look, this is gonna, this may not be so fun. It's cool. I'm, I don't mind. I, I don't take it personally. Um, but, you know, like we're talking about with, with being able to see the change, it's just the beauty of the, the way that functional neurologists are trained to see the brain as an instrument that is changeable and tunable. It's always joke with folks when they say, well, when will we see any kind of impact? I always tell everybody that I see, and everybody's different, but this is my language. If I don't see some sort of measurable change objectively and you don't see some degree of change subjectively within five sessions, I won't keep you as a patient. But imagine if somebody came into your house to tune a piano that you just bought, and they go, well, you know, it takes about three to six months to see any change. And after that, we'll, we'll just gauge when we get there. You go, I don't think you know how to tune a yeah. piano. But mm-hmm. in the healthcare industry, we have people saying, well, you know, we've got to try this for six months. No, you don't. If it's an effective measure for an intervention, the brain is fast enough and the body is fast enough to give us immediate feedback. Not always, but five hours of work to the brain is an eternity of time. So if you don't have somebody who is making some sort of baseline objective check to see that what they're doing is making an impact at least within five sessions. I don't know if they know what they're doing. Personally, I don't feel that way, especially when it comes to going, okay, you did a repositioning maneuver, and within three minutes, you felt a huge swing in symptoms. That is just like tuning an instrument and going, yeah, that string is all out of whack. But as soon as we tightened it and it held and we came back and we played that same song again, that instrument was like, ah, I got this. That's cool. It doesn't Uh take an etern- it doesn't take an eternity to see, and I think that's probably the biggest piece to encourage people when they consider doing therapy with a functional neurologist is one of the most encouraging, if not the most encouraging things to do in the office is to recreate someone's symptoms. Because if you provoke it and you recreate it, you're sure as hell in the right territory. But as you're, yeah. you're finding what is actually the problem, and I cannot fix a problem that I can't find, right? This is not something we want to work around it. We want to work through it 
And if we do that without having any of these symptoms show up, it's not impossible to get somebody better without ever touching their symptoms, but I promise you if you land on a symptom, that's actually a really, really positive finding. To reproduce it and not be able to get rid of it is not a good idea. To reproduce it and make it worse, it's not a good idea. But you can't run those risks if you don't find it at all, right? So it's, uh, it's helpful to be able to keep that in mind when people are like, oh, man, that was a hard day. If you go to a workout and you didn't break a sweat, it didn't do anything for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I encourage people to bring someone with them, whether it's a parent or spouse Absolutely. or a friend, because I see this all the time, too, is like, they'll have gains while they're there. And they may or may not remember those gains when they go home, right? Like, right. I, I've met patients especially like teenagers and they're like oh you know and mom's like oh wow she's a totally different person she can do this and this <laughs> yeah and the teenager's like oh you know <laughs> yeah so it's you know, exactly right with you who can observe wow. and be like oh my gosh wow and then you know after yeah. the whole home for a few weeks and you might get dizzy again you might scroll your computer screen and it triggers it. And like, you know, some of these people freak out like, oh my God, I'm dizzy again. Oh my gosh, we ruined everything we fixed. And it's like, no, take a nice deep breath, pull out those exercises the doctor sent you home with and, you know, settle yeah. it down. And if it doesn't settle yeah. down, reach out to your funk neuro and be like, okay, this is what happened. And, you know, they'll talk you through it. You know, it's, it's, it, you are going to have relapses. Like, I just want to be yeah. honest with that. But you have the tools in your toolbox now to help you combat that. And yeah. you know, if you get dizzy again, we can calm it back down. So, um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the, probably the biggest encouragement for folks who are listening, which has been my experience too, and yours as well. I think a lot of the fear up front for us is that we're not mm -hmm. fixable, that we're 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 uh -huh. too damaged and we have no way to replace ourselves. Because we've been ourselves, told that, right? Because right. everybody's like, well, that's not salvageable. That you just need to you just need to throw that in the junkyard. I think the biggest <laughs> point of encouragement for folks is to remember. It's not as much about, but as this has been our history, everybody's told us to focus on our problems and that we're not salvageable. I think the bigger focus is once you find a really, really reliable mechanic or a really, really reliable personal trainer, just know that you can lean into their expertise as a consultant. So when you find a really good functional neurologist and you have a breakdown or you have a flat tire or you sprain a part of your body, you've got somebody that is professionally, expertly trained in how to fix that. So letting go of all of the desire to be the person who makes sure that you're always 100% fixed and giving that to somebody else whose professional responsibility is to walk that out with you takes a lot of the burden off of going, I have to be perfect in my care. I have to be perfect yeah. in my at-home execution. This is why one of the phrases that I give patients consistently is participation over accuracy. I'm not looking for you to do it perfectly. I'm just looking for you to show up. Because when you show up, my job is to mentor you through that space. So if we have a bad day, how awesome is it that we're not in front of the con we're not back in the beginning of the conversation where we had nobody to call 
Now, if you're in a space where you have some success with your, or either some or a profound amount of success with your functional neurologist, and then you have a bad day, the immediate response is, okay, that's triggering, that's scary, that's understandable, but now I have some really good resources. So let me connect with those resources and see what the next step is, because historically I didn't, and I didn't get any better. But then I found somebody, I got better, so let's just repeat that process, because my old brain, that primitive brain wants to go, I'm freaking out which is understandable. It's just not sustainable, right? So reach out mm-hmm. to somebody who's already helped and, re- and connect with them. That's what they're there for. They're supposed to be a resource. Yeah. Yeah. And so with that said, uh, we are just about out of time. Um, and I want to make sure people know how to get in touch with you. Um, Dr. Libby, your website is thriveneuro.com. And that is in the show notes. So if anyone's looking to connect with you, and I also want to mention, too, that you are one of our speakers in the Concussion Discussion Series, um, talking yeah. about anxiety. And so that's going to be airing September 14th through 18th. So anyone who has not already signed up, be sure to go to concussiondiscussions.com and get registered for that. Um, so I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you be a part of that this year as well. I'm grateful to be a part of it. Thanks for having me. And thank you for being here today. Um, this has been a great conversation. I think anyone listening, um, you know, that wants to get in touch with you, I know you do offer consultations so they can connect with you through your website, thriveneuro.com. Yeah. And just thanks for being here. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks so much, Amy. I appreciate the time. And thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, I appreciate you all being a part of my journey. And just another thank you to our sponsor, Integrated Brain Centers. You can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. And you can always find past episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes, or you can go to facesoftbi.com. Again, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And don't forget to join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Thank you all for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. I will see you in the next episode. Have a great day, everyone.